Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Films of the Week with your host James and Affinity Cast. Today's episode uh, is going to be on two action films from 2011 for The Raid and also 2014 for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Both these films have got a lot of critical and commercial success but I'd like to bring a highlight back to them and bring back why I think these films should be watched because The Raid from my, in my eyes is, is a film that definitely brought Asian uh, cinema to a western audience in 2011 and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was the rebirth of the Planet of the Apes franchise which was a kind of quirky uh, 70s and 80s collection of films about if humans were uh, seen as the inferior race and apes had become so intelligent they managed to overthrow mankind and take over the earth. Uh, a bit of a spoiler for the first film but that, it's been out a while so if you haven't seen it then I'm sorry but yeah it's been out a while. So let's jump in the ra- to The Raid. The Raid is a 2011 uh, Indonesian film uh, which kind of flew under the radar when it first came out in 2011 but it gained a lot of traction uh, in the East Asian cinema and it won a fair few awards um, over in East Asia before making it in America but as I've covered in many of my other podcasts international films like The Raid and other Asian anime and films tend to make a Western audience uh, not watch them because it's having to be either subbed or dubbed. Uh, most of the people don't really enjoy watching uh, real actors with a dub, so an English actor speaking over top of it, because it doesn't match, the action doesn't match, and the um, the words don't match. But I think that this film is really worth watching. It has so many incredible set-piece moments within it, and it, it gives a grounded feel to the film. It makes you feel as though you're watching uh, an hour and... 25 minutes to an hour and a half of this set time so it starts with uh, police entering a flat uh, a block of flats and ends with them obviously leaving the block of flats but the hour and a half stamp standpoint is how long the actual actors were in the location for them from a narrative point of view and I really enjoyed this film as I said it follows a SWAT team uh, who gets trapped inside of a, a commercial tenant block with a ruthless mobster and an army of gangsters and thugs out to kill them and the, the cast of this film is very minimalist. There's a lot of um, actors within East Asian cinema that people might recognise, but from a Western uh, audience standpoint, they you wouldn't really know them. You might not know them now because this film is projected and got them into a Western audience's mind, but the, back in 2011 when these, these actors were at work in, in Indonesia, they, they weren't well known, but they've, they've taken, taken a step forward and got better and better uh, from this point. I mean, even down to the director, he's done a lot of work uh, in East Asian cinema, uh, working on The Raid and Raid 2, but he's done Gangs of London, uh, the TV show, and he's written and directed a few episodes of that, and he's gone on to do so, so, many, so many great things. It's nice to take a step back and watch where he came from, and where he's going to end up in the future, because as I said, he's working on Gangs of London at the moment, which is a Sky original-led TV show, which is getting a lot of traction at the moment. Anyway, let's dive into the narrative of this film. Uh, this film Z follows a SWAT team as they're trying to infiltrate a tower block which has been run by a massive gangster who's uh, in charge of most of the crime and also most of the drug use within the surrounding area. So it takes um, Rama, uh, the leader of this SWAT team, as well as Jakar, Indian Mad Dog, uh, into this 
um, block and having to fight their way from level 1 all the way up to level 70 which is where the gang, gang leader is and it goes through the floor by floor as they're getting picked off and taken down by everyone in the tower block because they're all members of this gangster's crew and they're all being paid uh, to look after him, act as his bodyguards and act as his manpower to protect him from being infiltrated by the SWAT or police or fellow gangs. So the whole place gets locked down the minute that all of the SWAT team gets in there, all the shutters are locked, all the doors are locked and it's basically a bloodbath from start to finish when they head into this tower block. You have people coming out of doors behind them, in front of them and they're mainly using knives and um, blunt force uh, weapons to battle the SWAT. The SWAT have guns, but the sheer volume of people is overpowering for the vast majority of the SWAT soldiers, and they end up getting into trouble, getting uh, beaten down, getting killed, and ultimately um, it ends up with Rama and a few of the other uh, notable characters left. I think there's four versus about 30 floors of armed gangsters or who are all being paid by the lead gangster to look after him. So yeah, that's that's the film plot. And there's a lot of sequences within the film where there's so many beautiful action sequences. And that's a staple for the vast majority of East Asian cinema is their creative fight coordination and fight set pieces. I mean, there's a one-take scene involving when Rama is fighting f across the floor because the way that the tower blocks work is you come up on the left you have to go across the floor to the right and climb the next stairs to the right and it goes that way so left to right staircases so he's having to literally battle as a platform uh, from left to right battling all of the soldiers and all of the armed guards who are protecting the get lead gangster and there's such a great shot with the one take where it's like a pan going from left to right involving Rama taking down about 18 to 20 different people fighting them with his fists, fighting with knives, battling them with planks of wood and all coming towards him and there's a lot of um, creative liberty, liberties within this set piece there's a lot of coordination and obviously um, dummy throws which ends, ends up happening within most East Asian cinema when they're dummy um, hitting to try and get the pace for each other so that the coordination is always on point so if an actor is slightly off point they wave their arms about to say I'm ready or uh, you need to come and attack me now so if you if you want to have a stand, look at uh, East Asian cinema, it's a very big staple within most fight sequences is that the main actor in Rama, or it could be anyone, Jackie Chan, whoever, is, is waving their arms about saying, I'm ready, next person. And uh, they do so much preparation and so much work into the action set pieces that they're able to do a one take, be able to everyone to know where they're coming from, hit the marks, uh, this person being thrown over here, this person's coming in with a right hook, this person's coming with a knife and so that all the actors and all the stunt performers who are the, the people being thrown about are um, are just there and all, all know what each other are going to do and what the next uh, point, what the next throw, what the next hit uh, where, and where that's coming from. And doing some reading into the stunt performers within the East Asian uh, cinema, uh, they don't get paid for their time. They get paid if they get put into the edit. So that they they go in there and say, oh, I'll go, I'll jump from this building, I'll get thrown and do this and that. But they don't actually get paid until it gets put onto the cinema screen or into the final cut. So it's a very harsh and very um, brutal world where the people are trying to, or the stunt performers are trying to outdo each other. So this person will get thrown from a three-story building onto a this person will um, take 18 
punches to the face, get a, a chair lobbed at them, get hit by a car. They all go in there to try and make as much money as they can uh, and try and get the biggest stunts, biggest performances so that they have a big, bigger chance of getting into the into the film. And it's it's something that happened during the 70s and 80s mainly, but it's it started to get cut out because more money has been put into East Asian cinema uh, with the success of most of the films at the moment coming out of East Asia and a lot of support that the East Asian community and East Asian East Asian film community is bringing to a Western audience. So it's not a current issue for stunt performers in uh, China and Asian films, but it was an issue in the 70s and 80s when Jackie Chan was coming to fruition and everyone was starting to enjoy uh, the uh, Hong Kong feel to films. But it's not an issue now, but it's, it's an interesting insight into the history of stunt performing and it, and it makes you think about how much effort and how much um, pain and injury these performers go through when they're shooting a film like The Raid, when there's a lot of action, a lot of hitting, a lot of takes that, of them having to be thrown about and killed etc on screen. I think the USP for this film is definitely the action sequences, which I've obviously highlighted earlier on. There's a lot of the sequences that are really, really well done. So when Mad Dog and Rama end up um, having a fight, uh, Mad Dog is one of the sidekicks to the um, the massive drug lord, but they they have a big fight, hand-to-hand combat within this um, kind of prison bathroom sort of thing, and it's so well shot. There's so much build up to this moment because before uh, this fight Mad Dog has killed about three or four of the SWAT soldiers with his bare hands and he's a specialist at arm, unarmed combat with his hands, his legs and kind of an MMA vibe. Despite his short stature, I think reading the actors about five foot two, he still uh, embodies this strong and very capable killer uh, on screen. So when Rama ends up um, having to fight against Mad Dog, you can see the, the size comparison between the two of them. Rama is obviously a little bit taller than Mad Dog, but you know that Mad Dog can handle himself. And the, the fight coordination between the two of them, reading into the background of it, it took them about three months to coordinate this eight to eight to ten minute uh, fight sequence, which is which is intercut, but was filmed with uh, one takes uh, throughout the whole fight sequences, so that all of the um, so both of the actors could literally just fight and go through the motions of all of the scenes and all of the key points. So it was filmed from about three or four different angles but in one takes. So that was about 40 minutes of shooting that these actors had to do where they were just fighting the same way. And these, this wasn't like play fighting. This is proper being thrown about, getting punched in the face, punched in the gut, elbows, knees, uh, feet. Uh, and all these elements have been put into it and there's a lot of effort that they put into these shots and a lot of effort they put into the coordination of these shots and when you look behind the scenes and start doing some reading into how much effort these actors who aren't stunt performers in their own rights put into these sequences uh, was incredible and I think that the low budget aspect of this film really brings in the fact that the actors needed to train hard for these moments because they couldn't get come in and get stunt performers to go and do it they needed the actors to be able to do it and go in and go I can do this I can throw a right hook and they did a lot of training a lot of training uh, before the film and a lot of training during the film with the stunt coordinator which is basically one stunt performer who's helping to set the scene uh, for the audience as well as the director and get everyone on the same page and it's it's just incredible and there's so much effort and so much effort within this film with the stunt performing 
As I talked about earlier, this film got a lot of traction uh, within the East Asian Cinema Awards. So it managed to win itself Best Foreign Language Film in the Indian Film Awards, uh, Best uh, Foreign-Led Film uh, in the North Carolina Film Critics Association. It managed to win itself uh, the Imagine Awards uh, Audience Awards for Silver Screen. Uh, it also managed to win itself the Outstanding International Motion Picture Film at uh, the Image Awards in 2013. And there's so many golden awards that they've won from Empire Awards in UK for Best Thriller Film, which is massive. Uh, through to the Dublin Film Awards, to the Australian Film Awards, and also the Amsterdam Film Awards. And it's a film that brought a lot of attention to East Asian cinema. And the the, the success of Ip Man and uh, Jackie Chan and all of those other martial arts-led films brought a lot of attention to um, the raid, but I really think that this film surpasses most of the martial arts films that I've seen out there. Obviously, you've got the classics with Bruce Lee uh, and Jackie Chan that everyone loves, but I think that the raid is definitely up there within my top two, three favourite martial arts films out there. And it, it's highlighted with the awards and also the rating that this film managed to get itself. I mean, getting a 7.6 in IMDb, which is incredible, uh, an 87% of Rotten Tomatoes, and a 4.5 out of 5 for Empire. And as you know, those are my staple three, because it balances a critical and commercial success of a film. And, I mean, getting a 7.6 is, is higher than most uh, Hollywood-led films get, but that's from over 197,000 reviewers of this film. And it's incredible, and it's incredible led film and it's incredible despite it being an international film and I would really highly recommend you taking the time to watch this film because I love it and with a budget of 1.1 million pounds uh, in American conversion uh, it managed to make itself a 9.3 million at the box office and I don't know how much money it's made since it's g it got released on, on film, uh, DVD should I say, to households but earning that amount of money is incredible and I think that it's highlighted by the fact they made a second film which is also really solid and I really enjoyed it but it, it didn't have the same feeling as The Raid. And I think that a lot of people didn't expect The Raid to be as good as, it, good as it was. So when they go in and watch the film, they're expecting it to be, I don't know, a 7 out of 10, but watching it, they're blown away by the plot, by the narrative, by the action sequences, and by the plot twists within the film. And that's a really, really great thing within most films, is being able to surprise an audience. Despite the trailer looking incredible, they still managed to step it up uh, with the final film, which is always amazing to see because when you watch a trailer you get they're supposed to be designed to make you want to watch the film but by the trailer being worse than the film it's it's incredible that the raid surpassed expectations and also managed to get itself so many awards for the success of this film okay well that's about all the time i have for a raid today uh, after, after this little break i'm going to be talking to you about rise of the planet of the apes which is the second film in the prequel uh 21st century remakes of the planet of the apes but i think this is uh bringing it back to the original franchise and original grown-up caesar uh so that you can understand where the original uh six films came from because it's uh set before the world uh, is overrun by apes so yeah as i said after this little break i'm going to be talking to you about that film
Welcome back to the second part of this podcast. I'd like to now talk to you about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is a 2014 uh, action film uh, which got a lot of traction because of the success of the first film, which is Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is a rebirth of the original Planet of the Apes films, which came out in the 70s. The film follows a growing nation of genetically evolved apes, led by Caesar, the leader, who's threatened by the human survivors of this devastating virus that was released a decade earlier. This virus is making humans dumber and making apes smarter, Uh, so in reverse of what our world is, which is obviously apes uh, can't speak and aren't as evolved as humans and other humans are evolved, so this virus uh, is making mankind dumber and making them Uh, into a weaker race than the superior ape culture. As I said, it follows Caesar, who is seen as the uh, original uh, planet of the ape, uh, ape, which is genetically advanced beyond the regular apes that mankind knows today. Uh, And as I said, it's it's a really good film, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the original Planet of the Ape films, which obviously came out in the 70s and 80s, but this film brought a lot more of a dark and more realistic feel to the slapstick kind of funny aspect that was in the 70s and 80s film. And I I loved this, and I loved the fact that Andy Serkis, uh, who is playing Caesar, did such a great job of um, directing as well as Matt uh, Reeves, who is also the director for this film, uh, in getting this film out there, because as we all know, Andy Serkis is known for making characters come to life, and he does an absolutely amazing job bringing Caesar to life. There's so much human uh, aspect within him, and it's just so smart and so well done uh, through the entire production of this film, and I love how integrated the characters of these um, genetically evolved uh, apes and monkeys and orangutans are within the human world, and it works well against Jason Clarke and Gary Oldman, who are the lead um, antagonists within this film. Uh, Jason Clarke's character goes through a progression through the narrative, but Gary Oldman's character is seen as uh, an evil human uh, that wants to destroy another intelligent race because they're slowly wiping out mankind by their existence. I remember watching this uh, back in 2014 when this film came out and thinking how great this was. I was 15 when this came out but it really hit me at my core because there's so much of a deeper narrative behind uh, the film because the ape, it's a decade after Rise of the Planet of the Apes so every, all the characters you know from the first film are a lot older and some of them are having families, some of them have got kids and it's really really impactful. It's almost like having a, a human race versus another human race. Both of the um, two worlds are being pushed together because the ape culture is getting smarter and wanting to push out of the woods into a more industrial world because they're getting smarter, they're learning how to use guns, uh, use tools and use their brains to be able to outsmart things and be able to grow their intelligence and grow their identities and personalities and you'll be able to see the characteristics grow and develop within all of the different apes. I mean when you compare Caesar to uh, Cobra, uh, to Ellie, to Blue Eyes, to Rocket, 
all of them are such different personalities. Uh, Caesar's the leader, but he knows that he's got to protect his race over anything else. But he doesn't want to kill all the humans because uh, he knows that humans can be good. Because James Franco's character in the first film looked after Caesar when he was growing up from a chimp into what he is now. And he knows that mankind doesn't need to be eradicated. Whereas um, Cobra wants to kill mankind because he was mistreated and also um, bullied and shocked and beaten when he was in the circus. And there's so much character growth within the narrative of this film, within the narrative of these uh, chimps, and all given a certain identity that emanates uh, some trauma that they've all felt, and also is the fundamental reason why they act a certain way. And all of this personality and all of this uh, characteristics is blended so well, and there's so many different elements within the film that is so strong from the character to written narrative, to the action set pieces, to the way that it's shot, to the way that it's uh, designed and all the CGI characters. This film is pretty much flawless, apart from some small tweak elements within the film. And I completely love this film, and I really, really recommend, if you haven't seen it, then watch it, because it's incredible. And watching it as a trilogy, uh, so you've got Dawn, Rise and War for the Planet of the Apes, which is the three films. It's a complete narrative that is gripping and so solid that I would I could watch all three of them back to back and enjoy all the elements of it. Despite there being eight years between the first and the last film, the complete narrative uh, between uh, all three films is so solid and so great. And Andy Serkis and Matt Reeves and all of the production team within this film did such a, uh, such a great job of bringing the source material to a modern and more modernised world because in the original 70s and 80s films it was humans with kind of prosthetic um, masks and things that uh, allowed them to look like apes uh, and then in the 2000s uh, remake which we don't really talk about uh, they, they tried to make it a bit more CGI led uh, this is the Mark Wahlberg film I'm on about but this film brings much more of a grounded and gritty uh, atmosphere to the franchise and I love the fact that this film completely sets the scene for the first film, sets the scene for what happened in the iconic sequence involving Charlton Heston's character at the end involving the Statue of Liberty. Uh, obviously if you know what I'm on about then yeah, you, you get it. But this film is incredible and I, I love all the elements within this film. And it's not surprised that this, this film made 200, uh, 200 million, should I say, uh, from America on the opening uh, weeks uh, with a budget of 170 million. Uh, you can see the scale of this film. But I love this film and I love the fact that this film isn't getting as much love as it probably should do because it's a masterpiece and I would honestly say it was the franchise of the decade and that's a really small well really big feat uh, to say but I think all three of these films are so well done that on their own they're incredible but being a coherent narrative and coherent story through all three films I, it's got to be the trilogy or at least the series of the decade because all three films came out in the 2010s and yeah I, I love this film 
So going from a technical standpoint, which is obviously my background, this film blends a lot of great CGI work with a lot of great character-driven work as well. I mean, with Andy Serkis you'll know what you're getting with his uh, amazing fictional-led characters that he embodies and brings to life from Gollum to King Kong to probably his best role in Caesar because obviously the technologies have been advanced or had, has advanced a lot since he got into the industry. But he plays Caesar incredibly and the the way that he develops the character from basically an adolescent in the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes film to more of a young adult in um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes to more of a father figure and more of like a semi-grandad within War of the Planet of the Apes and you see the, the slight character changes and the way that he's being developed as a character through the way Andy Serkis voices the character and the slow methodical talking that Caesar has which isn't as quick and as repetitive as a human speech but the the way that he embodies the character embodies this person who's trying to act conflict with mankind and also his own ideologies because he knows that mankind can be good despite all these people who want to kill him and destroy his race which is the evolved apes it's is so strong and Andy Circus used um, platform stilts to help him walk like um, a, a chimp and having him on set with the camera with the uh, grey kind of onesie suit tracking motion tracking his facial movement and all the CGI work that happens within this film is so strong and there's a lot of uh, work that's gone into the CGI element of this film because obviously all of the apes are CGI generated apes but each one has different scars different um, hair patterns different face different talking and different stories which obviously I talked about earlier all the, the monkeys and all the chimps and all the um, orangutans have their set stories and you look at them and thinking what have they gone through with Cobra obviously it's the trauma of being beaten electric shocked uh, beaten again and all the trauma that he had during uh, his time at the zoo uh, it's, it's just so solid and it goes down to all of the voice work and all of the um, narrative work that the, the writer and also all the actors put into this film. I'd also like to bring highlight to all of the um, subtle differences between this film and the original first film uh, from the fact that the apes have developed their own language and their own culture and own ideologies uh, within this world, this forest world that they have all been put into and it's really nice to see that the culture has developed and also the sign language and also been a development from the first film I mean going from a monkey that is unable to talk uh, to being able to develop uh, cognitive abilities to be able to um, develop into speech abilities and also developing into being able to talk and the, the elements that they they slightly changed and obviously projected the development of the apes and all the other animals within that have been affected by this virus which has obviously made them more intelligent. I, I like the fact that they've um, created a culture and also humanized the the apes because in the first film the human or mankind are scared that they're going to overthrow uh, mankind all of these these apes that become self-aware and self-intelligent and I like the touch that 
they are humans are still seen as the bad guys despite the fact that the apes are obviously um coming to fight and coming to ultimately eradicate mankind but not through their own choice but but through the virus being put into the air and being spread by monkeys and apes which is making mankind dumber and uh not able to be as evolved as mankind once were as you well know, I like to talk about the success of these films, and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes managed to win itself an Oscar and 17 awards, uh, got nominated for a fair few awards. It uh, got nominated for Best Achievement for Visual Effects uh, at the 2015 Academy Awards. It managed to get itself nominated for Best Special Effects at the BAFTA Awards, uh, Best Supporting Actor for Andy Serkis. Uh, awards of the Science Fiction Award Ceremony in America, Arts Guild, uh, Annie Awards, uh, through to Empire Magazine's winning Best Actor, uh, Best Film, Best Director, and also nominated for Best Sci-Fi and Fantasy Film. And there's so many elements within this film that tick boxes for the critics and getting a 7.6 uh, on IMDb and 90% on Rotten Tomato and a 4.4 on Empire Magazine just highlights the fact that this was a commercial and critical success across the board and I mean 90% for Rotten Tomato is an incredible score and I really really love the fact that this film got the critical success and love that I feel as though it should have done from the success of uh, the original film and it was the best out of the three awards wise and also ratings wise but it, it's it's incredible and all of the CGI work and all the visual work that is put into this film is well worth it and if you did want to watch uh, this film it is on Disney Plus uh, with with a subscription obviously but I'm sure you'll be able to find the DVD somewhere maybe CEX uh, will have it or uh, if you want to order it offline I'm sure it, it wouldn't break the bank but it's definitely a film you should have in your collection because I love it and I think that as I said earlier the franchise of this film is amazing so if you want to watch uh, about 9 hours of TV or 8 hours of TV should I say um, this, is, this is the perfect franchise for you to sit down and watch over a weekend or if you having a lazy weekend or whatever just just put it on because you won't regret it at all okay well that's about all the time i have for the raid and also dawn of the planet of the apes today i really appreciate you sticking around to the end of the podcast i've been getting a lot of success and i really appreciate the numbers that i've been getting over the last few weeks uh, some of them have been getting my highest numbers I just really would wish that you would comment and I would really like to hear your comments on me, on these films, on films you want to recommend to me. Um, I'm, I'm here, just just drop me a message on, on the YouTube comments. I'll, I'll put another comment out to, to show uh, my face or put my name out there again. As I said, uh, I really appreciate you listening and taking the time to listen to this podcast because I do this weekly and I really, really enjoy doing it and getting the love that I have with the numbers. I just wish that you guys would just talk to me because I, I really want this interaction. And I want to be able to build a platform where you guys can talk to me and talk to me about films you liked, uh, whether you agree with me that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is one of the best films out there if you enjoyed the raid or even enjoyed watching them over the last week okay well just just drop me a comment and i'd love to talk to you as i said this is about all the time i had for today's podcast you've been listening to films of the week with your host james on infinity cast on spotify and youtube and i'll be here next week to talk to you about um, two more films that i think you should watch over the next week as i said thank you for listening